0: Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, where it's our goal to help you become the best financial advisor possible and drive the positive evolution of financial advice. Hub24 is an ASX-listed company with over $15 billion funds under management and one of the fastest-growing platforms in the market. Neither a bank nor part of a bank, Hub24 focuses entirely on connecting advisors to a broad range of investment solutions for their clients. Discover why other advisors think Hub24 are the best in the market and access the benefits of choice and efficiency for you and your clients with their market-leaning managed portfolio solution. To find out more, visit hub24.com.au. G'day, g'day. How's it going? What do you know? Strike Clayton here from XY Advisor. Um, Just chatting with Steve today in the glorious, uh, as you just mentioned, most professional podcast studio you've ever been a part sure is. of. is. Going to claim that. Obviously, Fraser Jack would disagree. All right. ETF watch. The thing that I found really interesting about uh, our conversation that we had via the um, via the XY platform was... um. A lot of people talk about they understand investments, but then very few people actually build a fully resourced website (laughs) to get to like show the world how much they know. (laughs) And I really like I I dug it, man. So, like ETF watch. When did it start? Why did it start? Um, Yeah. Talk to me about it. Yeah. So, um, started it in
1: uh, end of 2015. Okay. Um, So, about four years ago. Uh, and it just sort of started like at the time ETFs were, was starting to really get popular. Yeah, and yeah, starting to sort of hit the mainstream a little bit more. But the information out there in Australia about what was available um, was just pretty limited. And, and literally, I it was probably early twenty fifteen where I was like, "Oh, it's time, time to sort of." understand a bit more about ETFs. Mm. Um, and I went to try to find a list of ETFs out there and it was literally going to the ASX website and downloading a PDF.
0: Yes, that's uh, right, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and, you know, you can't do much with a PDF. Um, <laughs> and, and once that volume of ETFs got to a point where there was quite a few out there and you want to go search for certain specialities and that sort of thing, mm. just be, it was really hard to do that. And I um, saw in the US and UK where the markets were more more mature there were a lot of sites doing this and so I thought well there's an opportunity here to kind of be the Australian ETF um, site and so I launched the site with a sort of fun screener which allows you to go and sort of filter and find um, funds that meet your needs and then launched a blog and uh, mailing list with it and it's just kind of gone from there and sort of grown every year and it's pretty cool um, so are you the one doing the research or do you have other people doing the research uh look i wouldn't call us a research site we're not sure. trying to compete with a research house yes um so we're more just or providing research
0: like blogs are you yeah the one, yeah, you're yeah. The, you're... so i'm
1: writing the writing the content pretty yeah. much get the odd guest um poster hmm. um but yeah i i'm kind of keeping up with what's going on new funds being listed or new trends emerging um and just keep the, the content going on that you try to write a couple of blogs a, a month yes um and uh and you know there's always
0: new funds being listed and stuff so there's plenty to write about so you've got obviously i shares that are owned by blackrock and vanguard who are pretty much the biggest two players in the market and yeah are they constantly launching new etfs or is it smaller players that are entering the market um they are they're Probably beta
1: shares over the last few years has been the, the most prominent. Um, yeah. Like ETF, like
0: they've launched a lot of ETFs. They've got over fifty now, I think. How do yeah. how good's the um the bear that strong bear one where it doubles? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, not not real good over the last year or so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I always thought, and tell me if I'm wrong. So you might understand. So when volatility goes up, the VIX index goes up, obviously, and then the price of a put option goes up. So, so it it's expensive to make money from the idea that the market's going to go down. But I feel like with that strong bear, rather than going out and uh, betting against the market, you could always purchase this strong bear and get double whatever, you know, like it's a really simple algorithm. Yeah. Like, but I, I always think to myself, rather than get way too deep in into it and, and be purchasing options. If you think the market's going to go down, then just go on to Comsec or whatever, purchase uh, your, your strong bear and then hold it for as long as you want. And you, you're not paying for any of the increased uh, volatility.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the advantages of ETFs, right? There's like yeah. all these different sectors and different uh, themes and trends you can invest in. Yeah through just a share trade, you know, and like yeah. you say you can do that without the the leverage and the risk of options or CFDs or any of those sorts of things. Mm. You know, obviously you're still carrying a lot of risk by doubling down <laughs> on markets falling. Yeah. But um but yeah, without and all that
0: complexity that comes with those sort of other Man. other instruments. Yeah, totally. I always yeah. try to find an easy way to do something. I remember finding out about really getting into shares when I was a tax accountant sort of like the mid 2000 so just before uh the gfc and um it's kind of interesting what i used to do was i figured out that the specy stocks right they would move on uh news in the market so rather than i was certainly no uh, technical analysis investor I wasn't even <laughs> fundamental I was what's the news and <laughs> can I front run the news um, which you know to my <laughs> is actually how uh, the bots that trade most of the market these days to be fair um, but so back in the day there was this little specy sheet and I subscribed to it but then I noticed that uh, as soon as the, the, the specy sheet was sent out to the mailing list right that these little shares would go up 100, 200, 300, 400, 500% in the space of a couple of minutes. Yeah, right. And I also noticed that the, um, the URL where each monthly specy sheet, the PDF, good old PDFs, was hosted, right? So, you'd have to wait on the email. Whoever got to the email first would then click on the link to go to the PDF, and the PDF was hosted on a very predictable URL. Ah. So, <laughs> what I did was, was, I was like, okay, cool. So, I can tell where, what the URL for next month is going to be. And so, I would stick a, um, like an alert function on the, this URL that didn't exist. Yeah. And, and it would tell me as the moment that the PDF was uploaded. And it was uploaded like you know, a half an hour before the email was sent out. So, I would get this alert and be like, boom, there's the research. Go in and purchase, uh, you know, like, man, $1,000, right? Like, I yeah. didn't have much money uh, and I would purchase $1,000 and then the rest of the share would come on, it would spike a couple of hundred percent and I'd sell. And I, I thought I was a genius. I was like, I'm definitely the smartest guy that's ever existed and I'll never have to work again. <laughs> but then, like, two months in... Uh, the guy goes, oh, yeah. So, we figured out that someone's <laughs> like reading the report before it goes out. So, we're going to have to, you know, make the URL uh, variable. And uh, I was never yeah. able to do That's it again. That's the problem with
1: those schemes. They always work until they don't, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And
0: I learned my lesson there. So, um, funnily enough, they actually put up a a um, like a pretend one. I, like, oh really yeah 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 oh. so they got me so i ended up purchasing a bunch of shares i lost pretty much all the money that i'd made <laughs> like they were kind of cheeky but i was being cheeky so it all worked out for the end. um man like so love a good share trade got into uh etfs after that because i was like i'm way too emotionally attached to uh to to you know shares and i never um i never purchased another share after that little jaunt um ETFs, on the other hand, do a lot of the work for you. And there's passive and there's active. What do you tend to think in terms of are there any into your mind? Are there any active trading algorithms that you're impressed even exist in an ETF? Most of the active ones are
1: more it's more the it's still the human, like a traditional managed fund where you've got a fund manager who's trying to Use their skills to outperform, and they might have their own tools to do that. To do some quant, quant stuff in the background, but um, but they're kind of not giving that IP away. Mm. Um, some of the more interesting ones is that middle ground, which the, the industry calls smart beta, which is the not active and not passive, but kind of in the middle where they're still rules based, but they the still rules based like a passive ETF or as Passive ETFs just following the market cap weighted index. Yes, but the indexes that the smart beta um, follow is more is, is, has been developed using some sort of other methodology, and there's some quite interesting ones there that um, that show that there are ways that you know to outperform the market by just using an alternate methodology do you do, um,
0: do you seriously think that you can you can outperform the market using
1: a simple methodology yeah well like like a simple one like um equal weighting your allocation so a standard market cap index you know you if you invest in the asx 200 you've got 10 percent of your portfolios in C, um, cba i think they're the biggest at the moment yeah yeah um whereas you know by equal weighting you're not getting that kind of exposure to just a few companies you're equal weighting across the whole market yeah and it's proven over long time periods to provide
0: better performance um, and it makes sense I mean if you if you're investing in if you're investing one percent of your okay let's not call it one percent of the wealth but one percent of the allocation to say Australian you know equities uh, and one percent of that allocation is in number 200 sized company in australia like that's still a pretty good investment but you've got a long you've got a huge uptick for growth potential yeah that's right yeah Yeah. and so totally that makes sense because passive was the the term passive was just given to market weighted top 200 but it's Technically, that's no more passive than. No, it's still active, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. That's really interesting. Yeah. I remember someone explaining it to me well, once. So I was like, "It is God." That was great marketing to call that passive. Yeah. Um, but equal weighted for that same um exposure, rather than market weighted, would be technically as passive. Yeah. Like, there's no reason yeah. why it's not. It's and- just that the the market weight indexes are the the the,
1: the indexes norm. that everyone kind of follows. So yeah. that's kind of deemed to be what's passive
0: okay so it basically just reflects the the ups and downs of the market probably just with more intensity more volatility so it's up further when it's up and down further when it's down but i guess technically if we expect the market to go up over the long term then well you're going to end up ahead yeah yeah and you're getting the like you say you're getting one percent in the
1: 200th largest company which yeah. probably has more growth potential than the the largest company right yeah so you're, you're getting more ac- Access to the the companies coming
0: up, yeah, up the ranks, yeah, that's cool, man. So, how much time do you have to put into running this website? Uh, not a lot. Um, <laughs> it looks cool. Know, it's, Did it's, you design it? Are you like a hacker? I like
1: I've done a bit of UX. Yeah, um, looks good. So I I can kind of hack together a screen design, but I can't code. Okay. Um, so I've done I've done that, and then sort of handed it off to some developers to. To develop site, um, so
0: what do you do? Design it in like Photoshop or something like that. Yeah,
1: there's like there's yeah, right. there's other tools that are you to do sort of simple kind of design work. Cool. Um, so I've, yeah, I've done a, a bit of that through my career. So that's not too. Um, that Comes kind of naturally to me, yeah. Um, but it's not my full time kind of job, so it's only a bit of a, a side hustle, yeah. Um, which is why you only see a couple of blog posts a month because it's you know <laughs> it takes a lot of time to write content. Oh um,
0: man, so long!
1: And so, I yeah, and so I kind of you know, spend as much time as I can. It's probably a few hours a week on it. Um, but but it's definitely not a full time gig for me, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Well, I mean, XY was a, a hobby side gig for six years until it wasn't. So there you go. Yeah, that's right. Um, now for the listeners out there, you were a power planner for a while and you became an advisor for like six months. Yeah, very brief period. I sort of I started
1: as a um as a grad With uh, CBA in their financial planning division, and sort of spent that next 15 years um, basically in that financial advice space, but not as an advisor. I did, yeah, at the end of the grad program, I did a very short stint as an (laughs) advisor and then decided that wasn't really for me. And then got more into the, um, you know, started in the power planning and and eventually ran a power planning team and then moved more into the kind of, licensee services kind of space a lot of project work rolling out FOFAR, so far and um, a lot of sort of um, growth innovation sort of work what does um, growth innovation work mean oh you know trying to spend a lot of the last few years um, at BT actually working as a product manager there for the advice business so trying to you know provide a better client, better client outcomes and um, more like digitizing processes Mm. um just try to provide a better client experience and advisor experience throughout what is a you know tends to be a pretty clunky kind of process insanely clunky yeah yeah so that was a um that was a challenge especially in a um in a large corporate you got a lot of technology issues like you know huge you know if you want to change a a field in a in one of your applications, it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's <laughs> oh, um, So, like, I think there's smaller end of towns definitely um, probably got an advantage there because it is it is difficult to innovate in those large organizations, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I think it's because obviously they're designed to earn uh, revenue and they're very well designed to earn revenue. And so, from their point of view, you know, especially these huge product manufacturers big before um, – their, their, their goal is to make billions of dollars. And so, ultimately, um, ha- they've got to compete with their commercial outcomes with the government's regulatory outcomes. And that's, that's, a, that's a very difficult job to do. And companies that, I guess, don't have such difficult waters to navigate can handle those changes a lot easier. Um, and for many, many, many years, the, the big four were able to do quite well out of it. But now, uh, you know BT, for example, um, and a few of the other products, they're escaping advice at yeah. this stage. Yeah. yeah,
1: because it's just got, um, like you say, uh, like a the, the big company to comply with the the legislation and having ASIC um, keeping a really close eye on them. It's just, um, it's just got too expensive to do business for them. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, where where you know in the yeah. early two thousands they all got into vertical integration and went, this is a um, great way to make money. Um, You know, as that regulation hit that really was designed to break up vertical integration, it just all got got too hard, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's super interesting in terms of watching, I mean, if anyone could make financial services a profitable, massive scale company, it was the big four banks and they couldn't. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the most successful entrepreneur, well, one of the handful of the most successful entrepreneurs in financial services in this company, Boris, with uh, Yellow Brick Road, yeah. wasn't able to do it. Yeah. And uh, whenever I look at anyone who's trying to do something massively scalable, that no one is able to do it. But if you look at um, companies that just sort of focus on delivering a great outcome for advisors and don't try and twist their arm into anything. I mean, the biggest growing say platforms of the market, your hub 24 is in net wealth, right? Yeah. Oh, there's BT Panorama, but in a lot of ways that's just cause inflows from the old BT yeah, product. Yeah. Um, but sco- so scoping that out, you got net wealth and hub 24 and they're, they're not aligned to any dealer group and they're doing really well in this yeah. new market. Um, So it tells me definitely stay in your lane Offer And and, and don't blur the lines between product and advice. And the moment that you separate product and advice, advice has a chance to flourish. ASIC gets out of the way. Um, And and there's this whole, I guess, issue in financial planning, which has been the result of, uh, you know, profit at huge scales kind of creating a lower quality outcome for both the advisor and the client and there's this really sort of weird interrelationship between product and advice but that is finally i can see getting ripped apart Uh, and and unfortunately advisors are now the ones that have to suffer the consequences of all of that but hopefully at the end of it we're actually going to see what i see is the most valuable profession around which is financial planning Finally, being able to excel, so maybe I'm being optimistic. No, I that's agree. I, I think
1: it. it's a, um, i think it's still a long time away, particularly because it's going to take a, a real change at um, the government and, and the regulator to sort of to see these green shoots and then yeah. relax their, um what they're expecting, because um, they're always looking for the the one percent of people doing the wrong thing, and, to, and whilst ever that one percent is still around it's very difficult for them to unwind really the legislations that have been put in place so it's definitely on the path but i think it's i still think it's going to take a long time but i think anyone who just hangs in there hopefully we'll will start seeing you know eventually a um, an environment that's simpler to operate in
0: yeah i yeah. think uh, the the more i look at what asic have been doing i actually tend to think that they they've got i think they do understand that advisors aren't the problem. It's just that the advisors have operated in a problematic environment. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, as you just said, I'm really excited to see the regulatory environment start seeing better outcomes for clients and less conflicts moving forward and hopefully at some stage relax a little. Yeah. Um, as a part of that, though, occasionally things get through the cracks, such as the commissions paid on uh, IPOs or LSEs. Yeah, it's been an interesting one lately. What? I didn't even know that existed. What's up with that?
1: Yeah, so so as part of ETF Watch, um, we also cover uh, listed investment companies. And the reason why when I launched ETF Watch was I was like, is this ETFs only or is this ETFs and leaks? And the reason why I kept it as both was because there's more and more active ETFs that are essentially investing the exact same way as the leaks. Some of them are even the exact same strategy offered as a leak and an ETF. And it's really just the tax structure that's different. And so it's like, well, if you're a self-directed investor looking at investing in a fund that you can trade on the ASX, well, you should, you should open your mind to ETFs and leaks. So I, so I included leaks. Um, and for, and, and the history there is uh, obviously as part of fofa commissions were banned on on uh, managed funds but there was an exemption granted to um, companies um, raising capital in ipos and the the argument at the time was um well companies raising capital in ipos are it's an essential part of a a, a thriving economy yes yeah you know, if you're a if, if you're a, not an investing company but a trading company and you need to raise money in an ipo well that Money goes back into the economy, and it's ultimately a good thing for the the economy as a whole. Um, but listing ca- investment companies were included in that, and yeah, that's a weird one. And it means that um, <laughs> that's it's a big a, difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it means that essentially a fund manager can go and round up a bunch of brokers and um, come up with a with a mm. investment that they want to raise capital for, and the the brokers can then go and um, you know, the bro- brokers are then remunerated by. How much money they raise and the, the commissions are usually around the one to three percent. That's insane. Yeah, um, and you and what we've seen is probably since twenty fourteen a booming lick IPO environment. <laughs> I um, wonder that why? probably came to a head like in twenty eighteen. I think there were about fifteen lick IPOs, and they rate and there were these fund managers that um, were very un, unknown. <laughs> they had like small little funds, and no. then they went and did a lick IPO and raised a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and then they got in at that time where like they just had, you know, two years of good performance. So, the you know, the brokers could be going, oh, well, these guys have done 20% for the last two years straight. Um, and and th- and that's where we're at now. And it's at last year, um, late last year, it sort of got on ASIC's radar and there was a few media commentators that started going, hey, this isn't really right. Um, good on them. Yeah. Do, who,
0: do you know who they were? Shout out to them. Um,
1: Chris Joy with well AFR, like he's a fund manager and an AFR commentator. He's been very vocal about it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just come to a head um, now where uh, Josh Frydenberg just announced a four-week consultation into it. Yes. And so we'll expect probably, probably, I don't know if it'll be a budget thing that they'll launch in the budget or like, you know, at least probably before the next financial year, there'll be some new rules around it. But it's a really important one for financial advisors because, you know, financial advisors have been the whipping boys of poor conduct for a long time now. Absolutely. And the me- and a lot of the media is saying financial advisors are selling these Lick IPOs, which, you know, there's probably a handful of financial advisors are. It's all it's brokers who are doing it. Absolutely. Um, so, like, you know, it's an important one for financial invi- advisors to get involved in the conversation, though, and go, no, we... We're, we're we're not conflicted anymore. Yeah. Um. We don't want to be associated with this, yeah. and therefore, getting rid of it is the right thing to do. Hundred um, percent. In 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 total, and so it's um it's going to be interesting to see what comes of it. There's a bit of um back and forth on both sides of the debate in the media at the moment, which has been interesting to read. I haven't it's, followed. There's what, a bit what... of a slugfest of a couple of um commentators on each side of the debate and so get quite who, personal who's, de- who's defending it and what's the argument for the defense <clears throat> there's a couple of associations that are kind of vested in it that are defending it so there's an association of, oh, the of sto- leaks the, and the, the stockbrokers stockbroker association i'd imagine um, all over. so it. then they've kind of they've got um some people that they've kind of recruited that are sort of well known in the media to sort of help them with their kind of case now
0: when you say recruited do you mean Paid? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I guess, I guess we can yeah. speculate, yeah. but we can neither confirm nor deny. No. Yes. yes don't know. Okay. Um, and the arguments for, they're pretty weak. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll scope um, one argument off the table. We like money. So, yeah. scope that out. What What is the well, defense? Well, like the, the arguments for is, well, if
1: these, like a lot of the argument is, if these things are going to launch, then people need an incentive to- to, they to don't need them. to launch, though. There's so and many it's like, opportunities well, yeah. already and it's like, existing. No, and the, the counter argument to that is, well, like Magellan just launched a new leak late in 2019, offering no broker commission, but offering bonus shares for people who participated in the IPO. So it's in it's in it's in the fund manager's interest to raise money in a leak of because course. then they have this locked in capital, right? Because that's that's the big advantage of a leak. Once you've raised that money. You've got a management fee there into perpetuity. Yes. Um, but to make it in the investor's interest, Magellan went, well, if you participate in this IPO, we'll give you like one bonus share for every 10 you invest in. Oh, I can't remember what it was, but sure. something along those lines. So, then it's the investors going, well, I get $11 of value for $10. Um, yeah, like makes makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, then kind of everyone wins. Yes. So... Yeah, the and it was easy for Magellan at being a large household name, but if you're a smaller fund manager who doesn't have that kind of reputation, then it's probably harder to raise the sort of money that they did. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the arguments for are around just around that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also proposing just putting caps on the commission, like capping it at one to
0: 2%,
1: which, um, I don't know, I guess it's a step in the right direction, but- uh,
0: but yeah, the, the arguments aren't—they're <laughs> not, yeah. yeah, not great. Yeah, they're not the great. I actually—I don't mind um, getting. You know, I, I certainly don't mind people getting paid to help launch a company from private to to public. I think there—that is—that's a—that's a difficult journey, and I think there does need to be levels of locked-in money to give security to the company that's launching from private to public. Yep. Um, but, but an LIC I mean they're not creating any new value or any new asset they're just consolidating you know yeah, a, a just chunk, buying existing assets. A chunk of the market yeah. and so there's no there's no additional value added to the economy there so um, yeah I can't imagine why um, there I, I I'd love to I'd love to hear you know the person I, I might actually go check so who did you say was giving the defense in the in the media? Um it's Dominic McCormack.
1: He's okay. on LiveWire. So it's most of his oh, stuff's on LiveWire. Okay. Right, yeah. right, right. Interesting. Um but I think there's and I wrote a piece and I did a submission to the um consultation the other day and um the, like for me, I think the answer is the active ETF is the answer to this lick, miss selling issue. Because, oh, yeah, of course, I think at the end of the day, and this is why ETFs have, have just got so popular, is you know, like investors were never drawn to managed funds because it's so damn hard to buy and sell a managed fund.
0: Oh, especially if off market. Yeah. Definitely. Like if, you're,
1: if you don't have access to a platform like an advisor does, yeah. and you've got to go and fill in a paper form. Oh dude. You've got to give your hundred points of ID. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you've got to like do a like a direct deposit. (laughs) Yeah, it's horrible And then when you wanna redeem your funds, you gotta fill in another form. You've got to wait a week. (laughs) It's
0: so Um, bad.
1: And so why ETFs got so popular is it's like, oh I just go into my brokerage account and I just Yeah place a trade. Yeah. Um and that's one of the peels of licks as well. You can just go in and you can buy a Magellan lick or a platinum lick or whatever. But Active ETFs are doing essentially the same thing, um, you know, and there's some things that there's some features of licks that um, some people say are positive. Some could argue they're a negative. For example, they can trade at a premium or a discount to their, yeah. their underlying net asset value. Yeah. Now, if you're an astute investor and you're finding licks that are trading at a discount and writing them to a premium, you can make money out of that. But if you're a retail Im- investor that just wants to buy a lick because you like that manager, um, then you might be buying at a premium and then, you, and then you make a loss when it goes to a discount. So, you know, there's positives and negatives to that. The other thing is the, um, the dividends, you know, licks because they're a company, they're paying the tax and they can pay fully frank dividends and they can also control their distributions more than a managed fund because they can retain earnings. Um, and that's one of the other arguments for the licks. Um, but in an active ETF, well, all that's happening is that tax liability is moving from the company to the individual. The individual's probably able to get um, capital gains tax discounts that the company can't. And then, and, and then it's on the active ETF manager to then um, manage their buy and sell decisions in a in a way that um, will that won't have huge skews in distributions. And I think that's one thing that managed funds industry been uh, poor out over the years is focusing more on headline performance rather than those fine sell trades that that a might realise tax and then create these huge lumpy distributions. Mm. Um, so I think an active ETF, if they they manage all that, that's the sort of solution. well um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, what well, there's a few things that's that are holding active ETFs back a little bit at the moment. One's um, ASICs. ASIC um, put a pause on new active ETFs. Launching last year for six months, while they reviewed it, and one of their big concerns is the buy sell spreads or the bid ask spreads of mm-hmm. the active ETF. Um, and there was some there's some managers out there who are putting these huge spreads in because basically an active ETF has a well all ETFs have a market maker that creates the market for them. Yes, and an active ETF, um, a lot of fund managers do that internally to protect their IP. Yes and these fund managers could then put a huge bid ask spread on and that's a new that's another revenue source for them. Stop it. Essentially a um, commission. Essentially it's a fee without looking yeah. like a fee. Yeah yeah yeah. Um you know if you've got a one, if it costs you 1% each way on the way in and the way out in a um, buy sell spread then yeah. that's a nice little fee for them. So yeah. ASIC put a hold on it and um they've reopened it again but said it's kind of under you know we're watching it. Um, but I think they need to probably be more prescriptive about what those bid-ask spreads put caps on them or, you know, get, really go to town on the, on the guys who are, who, are, who are milking it. Um, and the other thing that's holding it back a bit is the ASX listing fees. Um, it's incredibly expensive to launch an active ETF on the ASX, like reportedly a couple hundred thousand dollars a year um, just to keep it running. And so if you're a small fund manager... Um, you know, until we get a huge, like quite a lot in there, it's it's sort of uncommercial. So, mm. it would be nice if the ASX kind of supported the segment a little bit more. I think the ASX has, um, they've pushed their M Funds product for a long time.
0: What did you which, think of that?
1: Well. I thought it was a good solution. It wasn't a bad idea. Yeah, if The brokers, most of the retail brokers didn't get on board, which was <laughs> like.
0: That's because there was no way to get paid, right? yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but it's like it clearly hasn't been a success. I think they've got a billion dollars in there now, Ooh, yeah, right. and it's taken what you know, five six five, years. Six years yeah. and, you know, In the meantime, the ETF industry has grown to sixty billion. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so I think it might be time for them to put that to bed and go. Oh, well, we need to better support this active ETF world.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I used to use uh, M funds for my SMSF clients. I didn't have many of them, but uh, looking across the universe of options, I was like, well, if you want access to all of this stuff. And this was going back about five, or six years yeah. when M funds were brand new. I was like, oh right, yeah. So ASX are launching these things, you can access all of this without paying paying platform fees. And um yeah, in the end, it just never took off.
1: No, and that's still you still have the same issues, some of the same issues with a managed fund where you can't buy and sell in real time. Like I think it's end of day yeah. settlements and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. the active ETF it's probably still like a better option.
0: No, it's a really good point. Yeah. So active ETF looks to be um, the solution. There's just a couple of things that ASIC uh, are watching. Um, Frydenberg putting this uh, consultation together with the month of feedback. Um, some of the stuff was great in terms of what we've spoken about in removing uh, commissions from LICs. Um, some of the stuff, I don't know if you looked at how it's impacted financial advice at all. There was a couple of other things included in, in the submission, if that's what you call it, um, which was uh, limiting um, financial advice fees being received from my super products. Now, my super products make up uh, a large portion of the industry at this stage. Um and when they were launched, you you could take, I think it was like seven different fees out of it. You know, there's an admin fee, there's an investment fee, there was a um, insurance fee, an advisor fee was one of them, there's a couple of other little ones. And now they're saying you're not allowed to, which is not it it's not removing all the options. Like as far as I can tell, I'm like I don't know everything about it, but it looks like you can still receive um, advice fees from non MySuper yeah. products. Um, But the problem is going to be um, advisors have gone through so much recently that tackling this new thing is going to be a big problem. So, the whole industry was given, you know, we had FOFA 2013, right? And then between 2013, 2019... People had to get used to the idea of the new world. Yeah. And then 2019 to 2024, I believe, which is, um, you need to have a degree. So there's, there's a, <laughs> you got a fair few years to sort of catch up to the new standard yeah. as well. This one's like, hey man, we're giving you a month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's a month. A month. A month is too short. So, um, no one's and in and obviously in a mixed with all these other big topics that are going on concurrently, right? Yep. so it, So, so um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if you've followed this because obviously um, this is very financial advice focused, but it is largely unreasonable to my mind. I think to anyone's mind, because. If you would consider the average advisor probably earns ninety percent of their fees from, ninety uh, percent of their ongoing fees from um, from superannuation of their clients, and the reason for that is, well, it's deductible, like it's tax deductible yeah. to the fund, and it doesn't hurt cash flow. And so, if you are adding more value, which presumably you are, adding more value than the value that you're receiving from the client, then they're they're ahead. Uh, if we remove superannuation being an, op- an option to receive fees for advisors, I think we're going to have a, let's say if it was just this. So, there was no other new requirements. The Financial advice had just been sitting around chilling out for the last 10 years and this was the only thing. Yeah. It could get done if he gave it. Again, the, the sort of the five to six year mark. Is it really? They've only given it a month. Well, that that's right. So, so uh, this consultation. Oh, the
1: consultation on the leaks, though, is um, that's a separate consultation. Right, right, right. So, that, that, the one you're talking about is the Royal Commission proposals, right?
0: Yes, but there's still a month of consultation. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, so, and so, people will have a month to decide if this is a if this isn't a thing that's going to go forward or not. Now, obviously, I don't imagine it's going to be enacted day one. Yeah. But, um, but while everything else is going on concurrently, my God, like advisors have got so many balls just no, yeah, like, it's, like, it's like it's getting at them. It's been like for 10 years now, right? I know, but its I swear <laughs> to God it's ramping up. Like yeah. it's, it's impossible. Um, I've spoken with a handful of advisors. I've done media interviews. I've spoken to the head of associations like in the last week, because, and this, I can tell you, is going to have a bigger effect on advice than all of the other stuff combined because the, the other stuff's annoying, but it was given enough time and it wasn't 95%, 90 to 95% of the revenue. Yeah. Like this is a huge, yeah, huge thing. Yeah. It's.
1: It's a hard, that's a hard one. This the fees in super because I can see I get the point of what they're trying to achieve here. Same, me too. But you know, like most people don't have the cash flow in their pocket to be paying the advice fees that are high because there's so much compliance. Totally. Um, yeah. So you know, you want more people to get good advice, um, but you, you you know you clearly don't want them to get ripped off. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the happy medium
0: is there. Yeah, I, I would suggest um, not not putting this on the table until the, um, the education standards are finished. That, that would be, I'm like, okay, can we just hold off yeah. till 2024 um, and then talk about it then. Yeah. Um, that would be, that, I would like to see that happen because the we had like in the industry, there was reported that 16 advisors killed mm-hmm. themselves last year. Big deal absolutely um, and uh, this is going to I don't want to say it but I feel like it might replicate it that, yeah. which at its worst right and yeah. and that's that's
1: that's now yeah. terminal unfortunately the you know the government wants to be seen to be ma- taking action
0: right out of the Royal Commission yeah but they already have yeah they they literally already have yeah. like you've achieved there's huge changes yeah. um, can't you' Yeah, we need to hold off, like for, for legitimately the lives of some people that, that, cause, and I keep saying this, the stretching to grow and the stretching to breaking point. Yeah. And this, I fear will be the latter, but hopefully I'm wrong. Um, so in amongst your interesting career, sort of, you know, starting in corporate land, um, you know, going through a, advice land, power planning, a little bit of um, advice, uh, kicking off an ETF company. Mm. You've got some UX skills up your sleeve. Something that's really interesting in your career is you are working on a superannuation fund. Yeah. Now, this is a world that I, I'm i really passionate about, obviously, because I was an advisor, had my own company, and then got pretty close to launching a superannuation uh, fund myself and the reason why I did it is because the importance of that chunk of money is of utmost importance right like even though you can't spend it for a long time when you need it it's excessively important um, but because of the time to expenditure no one cares about it and so the only solution that you can achieve uh, to get people to care about it is emotionally engaging them in their uh, investments rather than just telling them that there's lost super. Yeah. And so, one of the many benefits that um, advisors provide is they, they, they give a human face to their superannuation. So, if you're my advisor, I go, Steve, how's it going, mate? And you go, good. This is what's happening in your super and explain it to me and show me and give me modeling. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, all that's happening is I get a, a letter in the mail once a year with a colorful pie graph and I don't know anything about it. I disdain it. I say, at, at, at its worst, it's an extra tax, you yeah. know. At best, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so that's the current environment. The apathy and disdain is far higher or, 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 or exceptionally above the importance of it absolutely yeah and so i'm i'm really passionate about it um i wasn't able to succeed because uh superannuation is very difficult um and you for better or for worse (laughs) have ended up uh in on the same path and i I mean i'm looking at your, your drink bottle right here and it says tomorrow so tomorrow super you're a part of this team um talk to us about what it is that you want to help people achieve? Yeah, so, um, it's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's the most yeah.
1: important one. Um, one of our, like, our key sort of mottos is giving people more transparency, choice, and control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we think um, in the super space, um, that's something that probably a lot of funds haven't provided, Um whether it's the transparency of what you're invested in um, the choice of what you can invest in or the control of of how you're going to invest it Um, and clearly financial advisors do a lot of that work for their clients and they use um, platforms that that support that Mm. and so we've gone into tomorrow with a sort of financial planning mindset where um, you know we want transparency so we're looking at using managed accounts so that um, our, our Um, clients can see what they're invested in. Um, Our, you know, building portfolios that are risk profile based. So, you know, a lot of the new super funds kind of give you two options um, if you're lucky. Um, Whereas, you know, we've come out of the world of financial planning and, you know, the different risk tolerances and everything. And so, you know, risk profiles and then also the tools to to allow people to work out their risk tolerance and sort of track it over time. And then you know, and then there's just a whole bunch of um, things that um, you know, insurance. It's obviously a really important part, but um, probably neglected by a lot of the direct consumer offers. Either they don't offer insurance, or it's you know, you got fifty grand in a default insurance option, and that's it. Mm. Um, so, give, allowing people to um, you know. Work out how much insurance they need and um, and and offer that within the solution. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the path
0: we're on. Um, can't it's been, talk. It's been a long journey, right? Yeah, it has been. I mean, from from the time that I was trying to set up my super fund, you guys have been around. Yeah, yeah so I've I'm, only I'm been like three or four years. Yeah, I've
1: only been part of the company for a few months. But um, but Wes, um, our CEO, he's been going for a while. Yeah. Um, with a few pivots along the way. Um, we're getting getting much closer to launching now um and like one of our things is also you know we're not we've we've come out of the world of financial advice we understand the value that financial advisors give and we're not looking at taking that away and so we're going to be we're going to have a direct offer mm-hmm. have a great user experience oh yeah <laughs> um and you know getting you know there's, like like with my super funds you still got paper forms to fill out to do simple stuff and it's like yeah man like it's 2020 yeah it's uh,
0: it's painful um yeah. my wife uh you know because we're we're pregnant with our first child and she sort of said okay well I want to I want to look at my insurances I want to look at my super and I want to look at it all I said, okay, cool. Well, yeah. Know, like I'm pretty experienced in this sort of stuff. So we had a look at all of our super funds. We found uh, the one with the most insurance, um, it, but it still took us about two months yeah. to get everything to the point where it was finished. Yeah. And two months. Yeah. And I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's painful. And yeah. um and uh, and. I mean, we've got we've got Superstream 2 That's existed for many years. Like, we're, like the government actually has built the back office for the super funds to to be far more efficient. But there's too much uh, money in uh, in not educating yeah. the client. There's too much yeah. money attached to um, making people seem like it's difficult that. The industry has been built on how do we make this more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And so, it's a challenge. I know, for example, if you look at, I guess, the big three new super funds that came out over the last few years, you had Future, which yep. no one really spoke too much about, but they had a really good launch strategy. They identified their target market really well um, and they just went after them, Yeah, which was essentially... Um, left politics yeah like if you believe in left politics you believe in this super fund and then you had spaceship super which was far more mass media i've never met the girl that did the the growth hack for that launch to my mind it's the greatest uh growth hack launch in australian history to get people to care about super yeah was phenomenal now of course if if you sort of tracked the success of Spaceship over the last few years, they did remarkably well upon launch, and have kind of not quite lived up to the expectations. No. And because, and that's the difference between having a growth hack and having a consistent message yep. that backs up that yeah, growth yeah. hack, right? Um, not not to fault what they did. A, To be very clear, they nailed it. Yeah. Right. They did extremely, extremely well. Um. And then you've got uh, Grow Super, who they gave multiple options. I really liked the premise of this product. It was like, do you believe in ethical? Do you believe in green? Do you believe in tech? Do you believe in you know what? What? What is the thing that you want to be invested in? Here's your tilt, and then how much between zero and fifteen percent do you do you like really believe in it? Man, like the the premise for that product was really cool. Done by a really young team, you know, killer team. Again, uh, did quite well on launch. And then uh, such is life, superannuation being what it is. People don't care too much yep. about it. Acquisition cost is, you know, around that $400 mark. They're fighting lethargicness. Is that a word? Anyway, fighting apathy. Yeah. And... um. And in the end, have become uh, sort of a a back uh, a back office to IOOF, Um and they're succeeding quite well there now, as far as I can tell. And the big news, the big, big, big news, is Sargon. Yeah, that's that blows those three. Uh, that's interesting. Out of yeah. the water, and so out of those three super funds, um, Future Super has done relatively well. Uh, Spaceship and Grow have struggled despite how well I thought they did on yeah. launch and, and their product, the the premise of their product. And then you've got Sargon, which raised, what, $100 million, I think it was. Huge. Yeah. Just huge amounts of money. I know Peter Thiel was involved there. I think he got out quite quickly, though. Um, and they, they've they just gone into, now i got to be clear with my words administration. Administration. Yeah. administration, not liquidation. Yeah. Um, which and means so they essentially of have volunteered, um, right?
1: Yeah, and so yeah. they have diversa as a trustee in well, their stable
0: and trustee partners. So yeah. they own two yeah.
1: trustees who are the what- trustee for most of their super funds. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, between trustee partners and One View, that's got ninety uh, percent of the of yeah. the new super fund market for yeah. sure. Now it's got it's it's diversa was sold by One View. I wonder if, A, I wonder if one of you get the money. I guess out of all of the companies, they're probably the, the most concerned. But what's what's interesting to me and, and my point around all this is um, financial services is really difficult to launch and succeed in. So, with tomorrow coming on board, do you guys expect to be able to um, service consumers and advisors? Like, will you ultimately be a new challenger to... The what I mentioned before was NetWealth and Hub24 are doing really well. Do, do you expect to try to take that on, or do you expect to try and take, you know, on where sort of spaceship and yeah, um, it's a good question and
1: still working through that totally. Um, but but I think, like, because we have this financial advice background and we believe in advice, yes, we but we also believe in great user experience and, yeah. um, Great client outcomes. We think we can, you know, we, we we're going for the direct market. Yep. But we also think we can build a product that we can work with advisors on. Now, will we ever try to be as fully featured as Hub and Net Wealth with five thousand managed funds and yeah, yeah, um, all of that sort of cap and and all the other capability that they have? Um, no, we're not. We're not looking at sort of directly competing. But for the advisor who. Has a client who you know they they want they, they believe in managed portfolios and they believe in our managed portfolios and they're looking for a low cost solution with a great user experience. Like we might be the option that that they can use for them. Cool. Or you know you know the, these days it's there's more and more clients that um advisors are switching off their ongoing advice because they're saying well, it's not commercial to service you anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know but then what do you do with portfolio management for those clients um this might be a solution for those sort of clients where it's like you know these these guys will help you out but and you can tap into advice when you need it with me yeah um, okay. so i think there's that's where i think there's an opportunity yep
0: um and hopefully we can get there man i'll take my hat off to you if you can get there um yeah look it's uh it's a really hard road yeah. I, I pursued it for 18 months full time and the amount of respect I have, um, actually, there's another one, Grant Britz. He did uh, super estate, uh, yeah. which, which he, he he's like consistently growing um, and he knows exactly who his market is. He, he's going after um, Qu- Queenslanders who love property. Like okay. he's like, these are, the, these are my people and this is the asset class that they like. And he just he understands his market really well. And uh, he's actually sort of the dark horse. He's just plugging away. He was the, one of the last ones out of that sort of cohort of new super funds yep. that came out. And he's just he's building it, you know. And I, I catch up with him every now and again. He's a really good guy. He's a former Olympian, and he doesn't like to sort of talk about it, but he, he's won medals in the Olympics and wow. stuff like that. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy, and um, yeah, I wish I wish him all the luck as I do you, mate. So good. I just have infinite respect to anyone that's able to do it. because It's a
1: tough space. You know, it's- It is a just, really, really,
0: really, really, really tough yeah, space. It's a lot working against you. Like the
1: compliance and the
0: that, that sort of thing alone. Is the whole industry kinda... loves dragging things into mud so that they don't move and then yeah. enjoys watching the young entrepreneur squirm and yeah. goes, oh, yeah. didn't expect this, did
1: you, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, and nothing's easy, right?
0: Yeah, Nothing's easy. Yeah. That's a that's a really good point, man. Yeah. Uh, look, thank you so much for coming on. sharing us your story, what you've been up to, uh, what, you, you, what you're what you getting done these days. Uh, if, if there's advisors out there that are interested in reaching out, you know, like hit us. What's your websites? What's your LinkedIn? Yeah.
1: So, um, etfwatch.com.au. Um, sign up to the mailing list. We send a um, monthly email with an update on what's happening in the market. Um, also, always looking for guest contributors. If you're an advisor who has an opinion on um, some of the things that we talked about, or just the market in general, or portfolio management, um, love to have someone else writing my content. <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly, would um, you know, you know, put links back to your website and all those sorts of things. That's so, good. Um, yeah, getting getting contact if you're interested. And then yeah, if you're interested in following tomorrow super um tomorrow super.com.au you can sign up to our mailing list there and um we'll be in contact when we kind of get launched very good and um, and people can find you on the xy platform as well i'm on the xy platform yeah you can also find me on linkedin yes yep
0: very good yeah awesome man well thank you so much for coming on thank you